This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, it is good to be in your house this morning. It's good to be in your house because you're here. It's good to be in your house because you're going to open our hearts to the scriptures. It's good to be in your house because we're going to see your beloved son in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah's, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged to his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Okay, now, where we are now in our history is that the trip on the lake has ended. The Lord and his disciples have arrived on the coast there. They started to walk, and what happens in verse 13 is that when they came, it says when they came into the coast, this coast of this upper region here, the Lake of Galilee, the Caesarea Philippi, there are several Caesareas, and he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So he's coming to the coast. This is a coast that's been named after the Romans. The, the Romans were filled with many false gods, and he broaches the subject of who is he 
among so many false gods, just like Abraham and Ur of the Chaldeas, where it said, by tradition at least, that, that Abraham's father had a house of gods. And the tradition says that Abraham was faced with the same challenge of God saying to Abraham, who am I, Abraham? So Abraham gives the same reply as Peter does with the caveat, but you could almost look at it in the sense that God says to Abraham, well, 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 Abraham, if I'm the only God and these are false gods, then lech lecha, then you go, you leave in Abraham, which is just what Abraham did in Genesis 12. Now, tradition says that Abraham, when he was in Ur of the Chaldees, that one night he went into his father's house with all the, with all the, the false gods there, and he broke them all. He broke them all. He, he destroyed them except one God. So the next morning, when Abraham's father called Abraham and said, who did this? And Abraham pointed to the one false idol and said, he did it. <laughs> and then his father said, he couldn't do it. And then Abraham said, exactly. Anyway, they're walking in this area. At last is alone with his disciples. He's alone without any distractions of the people. There's been, normally he was thronged by people coming to him, wanting to healing, wanting to listen to what he had to say. And now he's with his disciples quietly and he asks them a question. Very good example of the value of our quiet times with Christ when we're alone with him. Because just like the disciples were now alone, with him, so he's able to ask them a, a very pointed question. So that's what happens when the meaningful conversations take place alone as with us. Now he seeks to drive them into a commitment by asking them a question first about others. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He's really saying, how do men explain me that tell why I'm able to do all these miracles, all these healings and so forth? I mean, there was a word that the Pharisees had used about one of his miracles, an important word, and it's a word that you see in Acts 4.16, Acts 4.16, where it says that saying, where the Pharisees are talking among themselves, and they say, what shall we do to these men for that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So the Pharisees use this word notable, notable, and how were they going to explain it? So the Pharisees had an explanation. They had already given their explanation for how he was able to do all these miracles. We saw it in Matthew chapter 12, 24, Matthew 12, 24, where it says, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. So that was their explanation. But, but he's not asking about that, the Pharisees now. He's asking for, how do other men explain me, explain who I am? I've done all these things. Now, he calls himself the Son of Man. It says that. What do men say about me, the Son of Man? When he calls himself that, he's referring to Galatians 4.4, Galatians 4.4, where it says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, made of a woman, the son of man. He's emphasizing when he says the son of man that he's just like them, fully man. And the question really then when he's saying that, he says, look, I'm gonna start with who I am. I'm the son of man. And the question is raised, and this is what he's really getting at, 
Am I just the son of man or am I more? Is he just the son of man or is he more? That's a great title of a book. Uh, I think Josh McDowell wrote it, More Than a Carpenter. More Than a Carpenter. If you ask people, you go out on the street today, you ask people, who is Jesus? You know, you're going to get all kinds of answers. You're going to get an answer like, oh, he's the greatest teacher that ever lived. He's a, he started a new religion, Christianity. He's a prophet. You know. But the question is, is he more than just the greatest teacher that ever lived? Is he more than just start of a new religion? Is he more than a prophet? And this is all the stuff of more than that he's drawing out of the disciples as they walk alone together. So he specifically wants to know what the common people said of him. He calls them men in verse 13. Whom do men say that I am? He doesn't ask about the Pharisees and the scribes because he already knows they're prejudiced against him. They claim that he was from the devil. He's asking, what do common people think of me? Do they think, do they think that he is the Messiah? Do they think that he is God? And now several disciples now give an answer. They respond to this, and we can imagine how one disciple spoke up and says, well, I heard some people, and they think you're John the Baptist. And then another one pops up and says, no, well, I heard somebody say, they think you're Elijah. They think you're that prophet Elijah that was foretold in the last chapter of the Old Testament in Malachi 4, that Elijah would come. They think you're him. And some others say, oh, no, you, you, know, you cry a lot. Some people think you're Jeremiah. He cried a lot. Or, or one of the prophets. And all of this back and forth in verse 14, they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others, some Jeremiah, one of the prophets, and so with all these responses of the disciples reporting what they have found that others think who Jesus is, there's not one of them who calls him the Messiah. There's not one of them who calls him God. They're all opinions when they were all over the board with John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, and those are all good thoughts about Christ. They're very good thoughts about Christ. Those are very good people, but they're not good enough. They're all high opinions of Christ but not high enough. Some think he's John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, very complimentary to the Lord because those are highly esteemed people that they thought the Lord could be. Even Herod, Herod, he thought the Lord was John the Baptist in Mark 6.14, Mark 6.14. King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it's Elias. Some others said it's a prophet or was one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it's John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. So this complete lack of consensus as among the people, who he is, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, it's confusion. It's total, complete confusion. And people today, they really don't know who Jesus really is. They're still confusing. You know, like the, the Lyft driver, uh, yesterday I was with the Lyft driver. He missed a turn, and he was taking me home. He missed a turn, and he said, Jesus. That's what he said, you know. He was upset. He said, Jesus. 
And so then I asked him, I said, are you asking Jesus to help you? (laughs) (laughs) And that's why people, without even thinking, say Jesus, because they don't know who he is. They don't know. You know, when someone does that, don't let them get away with that, by the way. You know, just someone says that, you know, you can ask him that. You can also say, uh, do you really want Jesus to help you? And, and do you think that he will help you? And how will you know if Jesus helps you? And so, anyway, that's the issue when a person is upset and they say, Jesus, the issue is verse 13. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? See, verse 13 is really coming into play when a person's upset and he says, Jesus, because the issue is, who do they say Jesus is? When we hear someone say Jesus, we said, oh, he's calling on Jesus, you know? And um, so verse 14, it's going all over the place with John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, okay? And really, in the end, no one really cares because they're just too bored with the question to give it any serious thought. All right, now, after considering the confusion of others about who who he is now, he poses the next question in verse 15. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? There's a transition now. Now we've hit the big transition in verse 15. We've gone from whom do they say, and now we're transitioned to whom do you say? It's really a question of do you care who I am? Are you also all over the board or in confusion as to who I am? And we can just imagine kind of a shock that this question sort of comes with to the disciples. I mean, they're walking along. It seems like they're having a very calm, non-tense conversation about the opinions of others as to who Christ is. There's nothing confrontational yet. There's nothing uncomfortable. There's nothing tense And then all of a sudden, in the conversation, it turns to personally on them, on the disciples, and they feel the heat of the spotlight that's on them, and now it's tense, now it's uncomfortable, now it's confrontational, and above all, now it's decisive. It's decisive for the disciples feel how important this question is of who they personally think Jesus is. This is the decisive moment for the disciples. At this point in time, they are now personally challenged to step out of the crowd who they've just described, to be different from the crowd they've just described, and for them to say, I don't care what others think about you. I say you are the Messiah and you are God. I remember one time when I was talking to my Orthodox and Orthodox rabbi friend of mine, and I said that I thought Jesus was God, and he acted shocked, and he said, is that what the Christians believe? He asked me that question. Is that what the Christians believe? And I said, I don't know what the Christians believe. I know what I believe, that he's God, because I knew that he was lumping all non-Jews and non-Muslims into the category of Christians. And there comes a time when a person must take his stand for Christ. Maybe he's been a go-along-with-the-tide-with-the-crowd type person. Maybe he's a don't-make-waves-in-the-group. Maybe he's a silent believer. And then it comes a time when the timid now has to become bold. And when the non-confrontational person must now 
take his stand, confrontational if it must be. And it's all about who Christ is. That's what it all boils down to, who Christ is. There came a decisive moment for the blind man who had been healed, and there came this decisive moment in his life in John 9, John 9, 14, where it says, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay into my eyes, upon my eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that's a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. And they say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, he's a prophet. We can imagine, just imagine, here's a blind man. You know, blind men, blind men, they can't afford to be confrontational people. I mean, because they're dependent on others all the time. They got, someone's got to show them around and help them. And so, so you can imagine the blind man should be a timid man. And he's not wanting to make people mad at him. That's not a good thing for him to do. Well, he's just heard the religious authorities say that Jesus was not of God. And now came the decisive moment in this blind man's life where he was put on the spot and he was asked, who is Jesus? What do you say about him? And he says he's a prophet. And because he said that, he's immediately excommunicated out of the synagogue. But he came through that for God in his decisive moment. Now, the Lord has heard the disciples who tell who others think he is. And so now he's asking them who they think he is. In other words, he's holding them responsible. They're being held responsible because they have a benefit that the others that they just talked about did not have. The others who thought he was John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets, those others didn't have the benefit of all the times of intimacy, close conversations that they had with Christ. Those others did not have the benefit of hearing all of his teaching. Those others didn't have the benefit of seeing all of his miracles, but the disciples did. And so as they saw all that, they heard all that, they experienced all that, they were being held responsible now, and it was the time for them now to show that they had benefited more by knowing who Christ is. Just like it says in Luke 12, 48, Luke 12, 48, unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. We've been given a lot. We've been given a lot of revelation, a lot of knowledge, and so it's a healthy thing for us to consider what does God require of us for all that he has given to us in the sense that we hold keys. We hold keys to help people to understand about who Christ is and what he's done for them. That's why the word keys is oftentimes used and said he holds the keys of understanding. He holds the keys of knowledge, as in verse 19. Verse 19, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, now the question's on the table. Who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up in verse 16. Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered and said, 
Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's saying here the same thing that says in John 1.1. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1.14, John 1.14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so what the disciples did at this point is they they understood that God was made flesh in front of them. They understood that God was in the clothing of flesh. But what they did was that they looked beyond the clothing and they looked and they what they saw was John 1:14, John 1:14, they beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw beyond his flesh, that they beyond the flesh that he was made in, and they saw God. That's what happened to Jacob when he got his name Israel in Genesis 32. In Genesis 32, key verses are Genesis 32, 24. Genesis 32, 24. Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Genesis 3230, Genesis 3230. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So there is a man wrestling with Jacob, clothed in flesh. And all night long they wrestle together. And when Jacob looks into the face of that man, Jacob says in Genesis 32.30, Genesis 32.30, I have seen God face to face. Because when Jacob looked at the face of that man, Jacob saw, 2 Corinthians 4.6, 2 Corinthians 4.6, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what happened. That's what happened to Jacob. That's what happened to the disciples, just like Jacob, when he looked into the face of Jesus Christ. The disciples, when they looked into the face of Jesus Christ, they said the words of Jacob. Genesis 32, 30, Genesis 32, 30. I have seen God face to face. Jacob knew Jesus Christ was God, Jehovah Jesus. The disciples knew Jesus Christ was God. Jacob looked into the face of of Jehovah Jesus, Jesus Christ, and he saw God, and he knew who Jesus Christ was. And Jacob said, I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. My life is preserved. I have seen him face to face. My life is preserved. I know who he is, and my life is preserved. And the word he used for preserved is the word natsal, natsal, the Hebrew word natsal, and that's the same word, that's used in Zechariah 3.2, Zechariah 3.2, speaking about Jerusalem. The Lord hath chosen Jerusalem. Is not this a brand plucked, not sal, from out of the fire, out of the fire? So Jacob said that his life was on a way to fire, in essence. In essence, Jacob was saying, my life's on a way to fire, like in hell, eternal burning, And when he saw the face of Jesus Christ there in Genesis 32, Jacob said, my life was plucked out from the burning, not Saul. My life was saved like being pulled out of fire. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.